You're listening to Comedy Central. Barry Bonds is being considered for the Baseball Hall of Fame. A lot of people are now asking the question, should you be in the Hall of Fame if you were busted taking performance-enhancing drugs? Yeah, it's a deep question. You know what I think people should be discussing less than the Basketball Hall of, Baseball Hall of Fame? People should be talking about the Hall of Shame for every sport. Because people forget that a ton of athletes take all of these performance-enhancing drugs and they don't do shit afterwards. Those are the people we should be going after. You took drugs and no highlights? You out here in these streets, you just like, you injecting yourself and nothing? Striking out, walking off, nothing. Those are the people we should be going after in this sport. Out here spoiling. Imagine how much time of our lives has been wasted by athletes who doped and did nothing. Those are the people that the sporting federation should go after. If you're gonna take steroids and hit home runs, I'm, I'm for you, because you did it for my entertainment. I like watching home runs. You're gonna take steroids and then miss the ball. I could have missed the ball with no steroids. <laughs> now you just spoiled the sport for no reason. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, ears edition. Tonight, Biden drops the mic. Music's hottest beat. And W. Kamau Bell. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and joining me for today's headlines is Michael Costa. What's going on, Michael? How you doing? I'm okay. You know, it's kind of a uh, January. Yeah, oh. It's dark out. It's cold. You know, I just got my holiday credit card bills. You know, it's just kind of downtime. And I was thinking maybe it would be nice if for you and for the viewers, if I started the show with a, with a fun, lighthearted fact. Oh, and that was it? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be... I don't have one, but wouldn't that be nice? It would be good. It would be a good way to start things. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. You, you took... Because now I got depressed thinking about your bills and the darkness and the... Yeah. It would have been... It would be great if you started with something lighthearted. Going forward, that's what we'll do. My man. Yeah. I'm glad you think of these things. <laughs> All right. Let's jump right into today's headlines. We kick things off with Joe Byron, the president who puts the hip in hip replacements. Like most presidents, Biden has a complicated relationship with the media, which I get. You know, they nitpick everything he says. They challenge all of his decisions. And they even get their own room in his house, which is insane. Nobody else has to set aside a guest room for their haters. Well, yesterday, Biden's true feelings about at least one member of the press slipped out. On Monday, when a Fox News reporter asked him a question about inflation, Mr. Biden fired off an insult. That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. Ducey says President Biden later called him to clear the air and to say his comments were not personal. Within about an hour of that exchange, he called my cell phone and uh, he said, it's nothing personal, pal. And we went back and forth and we were talking about uh, just kind of moving, moving forward. And I made sure to tell him that I'm always going to try to ask something different than what everybody else is asking. And uh, he said, you've got to. And that's a quote from the president. So I'll keep doing it. You see, this is what happens 
when you've been on Zoom calls for two years. You forget that real life doesn't have a mute button. Son of a bitch. <laughs> was that out loud? Sorry. <laughs> now, a lot of people are asking if Biden even knew that the microphone was on, but guys, please, come on. Right, he's sitting there talking into a giant microphone, so there's at least a 50-50 chance he knew it was there. And a lot of people online are dunking on the reporter, saying that he deserved this because he's just some Fox News guy asking a dumb question. And they're right. You know, do you think inflation is a political liability is a very stupid question. I mean, what's Biden supposed to say? No, I think people like spending more money to buy the same shit. I mean, if you get to ask the president a question, you should ask him real questions, like, why can't the CDC get its messaging straight on COVID? Or can you ask your dog to stop chewing my arm? And because of this moment, there are many people who are saying that this shows that Biden and Trump treat the press with the same level of animosity. And I'm sorry, guys. No, I can't accept that. I cannot believe that people would even say something so disrespectful about my man, Donald Jiu-Jitsu Trump. <laughs> First of all, he wouldn't mumble that into a hot mic. Yo, he would scream that shit into your face. He'd be like, get that son of a bitch out of here. So rude, so rude. My crimes are my business. Biden dropped one offhanded diss on a reporter. He's no legend. Attacking the press was Donald Trump's whole thing. You remember that guy? Shit, you can't compare these two. It's like comparing Steph Curry to a random guy who makes one half-court shot during halftime. Show some respect. I'll compare him to Trump. Can you imagine? Yeah, I know, but you know, you gotta know about the hot mics, right? Yeah. You gotta know. Let's, when I'm on the show here, you know, I know that if I wanna talk some shit, I gotta cover up my mic. And our audio guy, he put for me, he puts it on my, on my wrist. So I cover it up and I can say to you, Yo, our audio guy sucks. You know that, right? This is one of the worst audio guys I've ever met in showbiz. I'm embarrassed, but then once you pull it up, you know what I'm saying? He, can't, he couldn't hear anything, right? Yo, my boy sucks, right? He's, one, he's a great dude. See what I'm saying? The, don't worry. No? Yeah. yeah. Yo, this shit works all the time. He's a clown. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Right. You got him, custom. That's what I'm saying, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yay, oh, hey, no one else heard that. So that's how I stay alive in this biz, dude. And you've got a long career ahead of you. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the Winter Olympics. You know, it's that time of the year where we all sit on our couches and critique athletes doing sports we just learned existed. We are now a few weeks away from seeing our favorite athletes sliding down an icy track head first and also feet first and also crammed inside a giant dildo. But it seems like the main event of these Olympics will be fending off COVID. And right now, China is doing everything it can to win the gold. With the Winter Games less than two weeks away, cities across China are scrambling to contain COVID outbreaks. And officials in Beijing now urging local districts to stay in what they call full emergency mode. Authorities are tracking down anyone in the city who's bought medicine in recent weeks that could be used to treat fever or other symptoms, even something as simple as ibuprofen, and sending text messages ordering them to get COVID tests. Entire buildings are being locked down, sometimes without warning to the people inside. Yo, China does not play games. I mean, they, they will in two weeks, but not now. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your building being locked down without any warning? No warning, nothing. Especially just after you've broken up with someone. 
Well, guess what, Sheila? We're through. And by the way, I slept with your sister. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we all said a lot of things back there about <laughs> sleeping with your sister. <laughs> you know, shit. But this is, this is way too much oppression for the Winter Olympics. Can we agree on that? I mean, Summer Olympics, sure, oppress all you want, but you can't be locking people in their apartments for sports like curling. Even the curling athletes are like, guys, guys, we're just sweeping ice, chill, chill. I don't know about you, but this story gave me perspective because Americans complain so much when a restaurant asks them to wear a mask. But then China will shut down your entire block because somebody bought Advil. And I'll tell you now, nobody in Beijing is sitting inside their house like, damn, this is just like communist New York. Because this is what real authoritarian control looks like. A government tracking your ibuprofen purchases. That's not for the government to know. That's between you and your pharmacy and your credit card company and the Google ads after you type in head hurt, why? But not the government. And by the way, if you're wondering how China can track every single person who has bought ibuprofen, um, it's actually not that hard. They just follow the CVS receipt to their front door. This you? Yeah, I, I feel like we just had the Olympics. I just didn't watch an Olympics, and now you're asking me to not watch another Olympics? All right. It shouldn't go summer, winter, summer. I think we should just, what are seasons, man? It's fluid. I think we should combine the winter and summer Olympics. Underwater bobsled, you know? Uh, rhythmic gymnastic archery, uh, figure skating, basketball, you know? That would be, I would watch that. The biathlon, where you skate and shoot the yeah. targets. I heard it for this one in China, you don't shoot targets, you just shoot people who tested positive for COVID. <laughs> I can't confirm that, but that's what I heard. I'm gonna call the Olympic Committee, tell them about it. Call you. the Olympic Committee, I know you call them a lot, so call. I, I text normally, but <laughs> yeah. this time I'm calling. <laughs> All right, finally. Let's get into some education news. Every American student knows about the SAT, right? It's the only reason you know what supercilious means. It means very silious. Uh, for years now, many experts have been saying that the SAT isn't actually very useful. Yeah, that it doesn't predict how well students will do in college. It's biased against people of color and rich kids can just hire expensive tutors to take the test for them. But now, the company that makes the test is saying, no, don't throw it out altogether. Maybe it just needs an upgrade. The SAT is going digital starting next year. Today, the College Board is announcing several changes for the entrance exam taken by millions of high school students each year. They'll be answering questions on a digital device for two hours instead of the current three-hour paper test. But students still do have to go to a school or testing center. The new test cannot be taken at home. As we take the test digital, we've been really focused on students' access to technology. Students are going to be able to use their own device or one issued by their school. Wow. This is so convenient. Soon high school kids are gonna be able to take the SATs on the same device they use to browse TikTok, chat with their friends, block messages from Matt Gates. It's amazing. And I know this idea has its haters. I know there's critics who are like, where is this gonna end? They made the SAT shorter, they put it online. Pretty soon it'll just be a BuzzFeed quiz called, tell us your favorite Ninja Turtle and we'll tell you if you're smart enough for Yale. This guy should host a show, I like him. But you know what, they actually might have a point. You know, because the SAT company, they say that what they're gonna do for the test when it's digital is they're gonna block other tabs 
from popping up on the screen. You can't go anywhere, you can just do the test. And the device will only have the test. I don't know, man. Have you tried to block pop-ups? Like, you try to close that ad, and the next thing you know, you balls deep in a rabbit hole of porn, sports gambling, crypto, why George Bush did 9-11. I mean, it's all the things you're gonna learn in college, so I, I guess it works, but still. More screen time for kids? That's what you're telling me? Look, I, the SAT is not relevant. I mean, I didn't do great on my SAT, and my vocabulary is still extremely well. You know, I, I understand and use words wonderfully, or as some others might call it, a necrophiliac. So it's not like it prepares kids to be successful. If you want to prepare American kids to be successful, teach them how to sing in a competition on TV or run through an obstacle course. <laughs> powerful. You know what I mean? I, I feel you completely. Yeah. I really do. I, I know I didn't need to tell you, but I didn't, I didn't crush the SAT, but I crushed. I would have never known. I know. And, and I, you know, I don't share that with people that often, but to reach the heights that I'm at, yeah. you know, even though I sit beneath you, pretty low actually, uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable because my SAT score was, was pretty bad. And I guess that, that really has shown that the SAT, although sometimes shows, but in most cases, right. totally. does not. Totally. Because I would have never known you did badly. And I don't and share that with a lot of people. So. I'm, yeah, and you know what? I don't think you should because there's no point in bragging. That's right. You just keep that between us. Yeah, you got just it. Whatever oh, yeah, you want. You know what? I didn't, hold on. I didn't do great on the SAT. My man. Okay. Thank you. All right. Don't go away because when we come back, we're going to look at why everyone in the music industry is fighting right now. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. Like cocaine and harmonies, Beefs are an essential part of the music business. Think about it. Tupac versus Biggie. The Dixie Chicks versus George Bush. Keith Richards versus Mortality. And with so many new beefs going on in the music world right now, we figured it's about time to settle some of those scores in our brand new segment we call Beefsas. First beef, check this out. In one corner, we got Neil Young, the godfather of grunge, the man with the heart of gold, the dude who owns your dad's CD shelf. He's going up against Spotify, the streaming service that's paid artists thousands of cents over the years. Can't wait to see this beef. Hit it! Fans of Neil Young might soon have one less place to listen to his music. The rocker wants Spotify to remove his music from its streaming services due to the spread of COVID-19 misinformation on Spotify's popular Joe Rogan podcast. In a statement, he said, quote, I'm doing this because Spotify is spreading fake information about vaccines, potentially causing death to those who believe the disinformation being spread by them. Now, he gave Spotify execs an ultimatum saying, they can have Joe Rogan or Neil Young, but not both. Damn, Neil Young's got balls. Because yeah, he's popular, but he's going up against the guy who's so popular that he's the reason kids now have horse dewormer in their lunchboxes. I mean, at the same time though, Spotify should think about this. Think about who's gonna leave a greater legacy. You know, in 30 years, what are people gonna be slow dancing to at their weddings? A Neil Young ballad? or clips of Joe Rogan being wrong about the vaccine. I don't think it's true that there's an increased risk of myocarditis. I don't know. 
it actually kind of works. Now look, to me, the outcome is clear. Between Neil Young and Spotify, the winner of this beefsus is guys who love to talk about how everything sounds better on vinyl. This is the perfect excuse for them to tell you, why are you listening to Spotify anyway? The bit rate totally ruins the dynamic range. All right, next up, the artist who soundtracked your quarantine, the Empress of Evermore, Taylor Swift. She's been dropping albums almost every week, but according to the guy from that British band that was an oasis, she's not putting in enough work. Let's see the beef. Looks like there is some bad blood between Taylor Swift and Blur frontman uh, Damon Albarn. During an interview, a recent interview with the Los Angeles Times, he claimed Swift doesn't write her own songs. Mm. He said writing music doesn't count if you co-write, and that co-writing is very different from writing. Well, Taylor Swiftly hit back, slamming the musician on yeah. Twitter. She tweeted, I was such a big fan of yours until I saw this. I write all of my songs, my own songs. Your hot take is completely false and so damaging. You don't have to like my songs, but it's really messed up to try and discredit my writing. Alburn later responded with an apology, saying he had a conversation about songwriting that was reduced to clickbait. He said he apologizes unreservedly and unconditionally and said the last thing he would want to do is discredit Taylor Swift. <laughs> Yo, that was the fastest ending beef of all time. Cause one minute the dude was like, yo, Taylor ain't shit. She doesn't write shit. And also, I'm sorry, Taylor, please don't hurt me, please. And I'm not surprised he realized how wrong he was. I mean, guys, T Swift is one of the most renowned lyricists of our generation. Meanwhile, Blur's most famous lyric is, woohoo. And by the way, by the way, people, there's no shame in co-writing, right? I'm not saying Taylor Swift does, I'm just saying there's no shame in co-writing. Don't forget, even God had co-writers, right? It was Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they all helped with the Bible. And no one ever says God's fake. I mean, except Ricky Gervais, but he's, he's going to hell anyway, so it doesn't count. Anyway, it's no surprise who the winner of the beefs between Taylor Swift and Damon Albarn is. It's Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, you see, finally, the heat is off. Now he's in the corner like, yeah! Get that blur guy! And I keep the scarf. <laughs> All right, next beef, y'all. I'm talking about Cardi B, the wappiest wap in the game. And thanks to her beef with a YouTube blogger, the Bodak Yellow Singer is about to see a lot more green. A legal victory for Cardi B. Yesterday, a federal judge awarded the Bodak Yellow Singer more than a million dollars after Cardi sued blogger Tasha Kay for spreading lies. TMZ reporting that the court found the YouTuber liable on three separate counts. Now, at issue was Tasha Kay saying that Cardi B once worked as a prostitute, did drugs, and contracted sexually transmitted infections. Yes! Sue them, Cardi, sue them! People gotta know. Spreading lies about Cardi B is not okay. I'll show myself out. Or at the very least, at the very least, if you're gonna lie, be smart about it, all right? If you're gonna talk shit about people, don't print them as allegations. That's libel. What you should do is add a beat. Now it's a diss track. At the same time, though, winning a million dollar judgment from a blogger isn't necessarily the payday that it sounds like. Because, I mean, what are they going to do? Garnish her wages for the next 700 years? But even though the courts declared Cardi B the winner of this beefsus, the actual winner is my friend Pete. Because, you see, he said all the same shit about Cardi B, but nobody reads his blog, so he didn't get sued. 
it's time for our final beef. We got the guitar god, the dude responsible for some of the hottest licks and the most racist rants of all time, Eric Clapton. He's throwing down once again with his longtime rival, Reality. Singer Eric Clapton continuing his parade of anti-vax nonsense, and this time he says he believes people vaccinated against coronavirus are under mass hypnosis. And he is very serious about this. In an interview, Clapton, who was vaccinated, argued that subliminal messaging hidden in advertising is what's leading people to get vaccinated. You know, the, the, the theory of mass um, hypnosis formation, once I kind of started to look for it, I saw it everywhere. And then I remembered seeing little things on YouTube, which were like subliminal advertising. Huh. So he heard about the hypnosis and he didn't notice it. And then he looked for it and then he saw it everywhere. So he got hypnotized? Come on, people. This conspiracy theory is so ridiculous. Subliminal advertising? It's not even a real thing. I mean, this really drives home that being an expert at one thing does not necessarily make you an expert at everything because Eric Clapton is an amazing guitar player. I'm just not gonna listen to him about COVID any more than I'd buy an album from Dr. Fauci. I'm Dr. Fauci and I'm here to say COVID is messing up the USA. This is almost not a beef because reality doesn't care about your hot takes, all right? Yeah, it's reality. I mean, try having an argument with oncoming traffic and you let me know how that works out. But still, we have to pick a winner. And the winner of this beefsness is Kanye West. Yeah, you thought he was saying crazy shit, but next to Eric Clapton, he's basically Barack Obama. Uh, Taylor, I'm gonna let you finish, but uh, psych. All right, that's enough of the beef. I got the itis. Let's take a break. When we come back, W. Kamal Bell will be here on the show to talk about Bill Cosby. Oh! Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is comedian and director W. Kamal Bell. He's here to talk about his new docu-series, We Need to Talk About Cosby. W. Kamal Bell. Welcome to The Daily Show. Yeah, maybe my last time. Welcome, what do you mean your last time? <laughs> I just feel like I might be doing my last You know what I appreciate these. you, my friend, is the, the, the last time we spoke was like in the heart of the pandemic. I was yeah. in my apartment and you, I think, at home as well. Yeah. And we're talking and I said to you, I said, you know, Kamal, every single time I see you talking about racism, you're talking about racism, you're always bringing the room down, you're talking about racism. And I see you felt that as a challenge. You were like, you know what, Trevor, I'm gonna show you. Yeah. And this time, we're gonna talk about Bill Cosby. Oh, you thought I brought the room down before. <laughs> the room is down, and they're down, a lot of them are down on me right now. So. Why would you choose to do this? I remember you calling me and you said, hey, do you, I'm doing this documentary about Bill Cosby. Would you like to be in it? And I was like, no. Yeah. There is no reason I would want to be part of this documentary. But no, but in all honesty, it's because, in a, and I know this is strange to say, Bill Cosby just was not a cultural influence no, in my life. No, we talked about that, yeah. we talked about that. And it was so weird to me because yeah. I'm glad I've watched this documentary you yeah. made yeah. because now I truly understand how big Bill yeah. Cosby actually was. So tell me why. First why, of all, would you, why do you think we need to talk about Cosby? I appreciate you uh, talking about that phone call because I got a lot of no's from a lot of people and I've been very clear about, uh, other than obviously Hannibal Burris, I've not, I haven't said who said no, so thank you for outing yourself here. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, so a lot of people said no? Of course. Well, I only said no because I didn't, I, like, no, I'm I not, didn't feel I'm, like I could <laughs> add to the conversation. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, yes, I understand that, but I'm saying like a lot of, I mean, if you stack the, the yeses next to the no's. Wow. Yeah, and it's, and you know, and a lot of people had a lot of, I mean, I had some really great conversations like the one I had with you with people for a long time that ended in no. Yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. So 
when you were getting all the no's, did you think, ooh, should uh-huh. I not be making this thing? Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the many times I thought. And right now, as I sit here, should I be making this thing? It's like, I can't explain it other than I was, com- I'm always drawn to difficult conversations. That's yes, kind of are. my thing. Yeah. Uh, and because Bill Cosby was such a huge cultural, racial figure in my life and so charted a path that I was like, that's the path I should be on. Do good work, be a comedian, but also do good in the world. Like a lot of black folks, specifically of my generation and older, we were just gutted to find out about all these allegations right, and then wrestle right. with, do I believe them? And I believe them. And so it's like, and I that conversation's going in my head all the time. Every time he makes an appearance or sends out a sends out a tweet, and uh-huh. like I'm always thinking about it and talking to other people about it. And I couldn't, I found myself in a position where I was talking to the producers of this doc about it, and they were like, they had never thought about it this way. And so this is where we ended up. But yeah, it was, I can only say. I was compelled to do it by something that was not rational. I, I think you doing it has honestly opened up one of the hardest conversations that we need to be having in society, not just specifically about Bill Cosby, but about society as a whole, mm-hmm. right? It feels like, especially when you watch this docu-series, that there are almost you know, three generations of people that are going to exist. Yes. There are the people who came up with Cosby. Mm-hmm. You know, you are sort of in the heart yeah, of that. Yeah. Like Cosby. I was, as a child, I was, Cosby was one of the he shaped you. racing. No yeah. shape, it was part of shaping you, mm-hmm. really, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, people were talking about this, uh, you know, just before we, we came out for this interview, like my producers, and, and they were talking about how like, in white families, they were like, Cosby's, this is the biggest thing. It wasn't about black or white, it was he Cosby. Was, he was America's dad, America's not black dad. America's dad. Yeah, yeah. right, yeah. and he, he had done so much. And you know, we talk about how you know, you learn this in the documentaries, like how Cosby changed stuntmen in America. Like Cosby was the one who said, hey, you can't have white guys in blackface doing a stunt, just get black stuntmen. He yeah. changed Hollywood forever. Yeah, yeah. There were no stunt, black stunt performers under contract until Bill Cosby. So you have this generation of people who goes, man, Bill mm-hmm. Cosby changed my world in all the best ways. Mm-hmm. Then you have the now generation who goes like, well, I just know Bill Cosby as the rapist guy, uh-huh. right? And then you have the generation that goes like, man, how do we, how do we live with the myth yeah. and the man? Yeah, and that's- Did you I, answer that question in the documentary for yourself? I think the, the way we, is to deal with all of it. I think the only way you can deal with it, like I, we, Roland Martin makes a great point, of like you can't talk about black, black, you can't talk about America in the 21st century without talking about Bill Cosby. He, wow. I think he says black America, but you can't talk about America in the 21st century without talking about Bill Cosby. But you can't also ignore all the things that have come out in the 21st century. Right. And so for me, this whole doc is about creating a space to talk about all of it. It's we need to talk about Cosby, not here's my thoughts on Cosby. And as you can see from that clip, there's, a, there's nuance, there's anger, mm-hmm. there's sorrow. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, of, a lot of it is based in conflict or, or roiling frustration. And you have to talk about all of it because otherwise we lose essential parts of American history. For a lot of people, I'm hearing like they've been waiting for this conversation to happen in some format. And the other problem in America, we have the like, it's not time now, it's not time now. Yes, Anytime there's right. any major conversation, it just felt like when I started, he was in prison. I felt like it's time. And then he got out. He got out on the last day of filming. Yeah. I had two questions. One, how did you feel about that? And two, did you ever reach out to him to be a part of the documentary? Uh, so he got out on the last day of filming. It was one of the most surreal days of my life up until tomorrow when he releases a statement about the doc. The, sur- the surreality will continue. Um, you know, I thought maybe the project goes away, and also, yay, maybe the project goes away, you know, because it's just so hard to make. 
I didn't reach out to him because I was always clear that one, it's a conversation about him. It's not it's not a true crime documentary. Got it's not it, about finding it, out it, what this it. person thinks. It's a conversation about the legacy and the work and also the allegations that I believe, as I said. And it just felt like I had really we had worked hard as a team to get to get the to get to earn the survivor's trust, right. to sit down and have these right. conversations in a more wide open way. And it, that would have felt like a real betrayal of their trust to put Bill Cosby into this. One thing I appreciated in this documentary is how you're having those conversations. You know, it, it feels like you had to tackle, tackle it in a nuanced way. You didn't just go like, so what happened? It, it, it seemed like there was more to the conversation. What do you think we missed in some of the ways we were trying to have conversations in and around Cosby and in many of his survivors who came out? It was really important for me and the filmmakers and the other producers to go, Let's show who these people were. Let's bring them in the dock when they're just commenting on the time and the era, and if they have good memories of Bill Cosby, let's let them bring them in to talk about that. Because then the thing happens, like, maybe some woman is telling you about how Playboy worked and he who, he who Hefner was, another man who's in this era, mm -hmm. and you go, oh, she's an expert because she was in Playboy magazine and she was a playmate. And then you go, oh, wait, she's a survivor. So you get to meet her as a human being who's an expert in her life and her field, and, you don't, and you're not bringing all that, this survivor's about to tell me a story to. Right, right. Is it possible to separate the artist from the art? Do you think it is possible? I mean, I would say this. We separate the art from the artist all the time. Hmm. There are so many ways. It could be musicians, could be actors. Where you, they don't have to be criminals, but you go, like right now, you're talking about Eric Clapton. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like there, there are a lot of people who don't agree with any of his vaccine stances, but, but, but maybe felt touched by the song Tears in Heaven. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, so we do that all the time. We just don't think about it until it becomes somebody who's so seminal as Bill Cosby, hmm. where if I separate, if I go, I can't watch this stuff anymore, and you go, I can, then it becomes a fight of you mad at me for because you think I don't understand and because you don't think I'm taking him seriously. And so for me, I'm like, in this doc, we can take the art seriously, but right. we have to talk about the other stuffs. Well, I'll tell you this, man. This documentary, I can't imagine how hard and scary it was to make. It's still scary right, right now, Trevor. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I appreciate that. But, but, but honestly, I appreciate it just on a personal level because I think it gives people an opportunity to consume an extremely complicated story and a com complicated legacy in one of the most nuanced ways possible. So thank you for that. Thank you for putting yourself on the line. And uh, just be clear. And I want you to know, if your career ends, <laughs> I will, I will like claim that I never knew you. But I appreciate what you did. I, I, well, I, and I will respect that. I will respect <laughs> that. This tape will be deleted. I understand. No, man, for real, man. Congratulations and thank you very much. Thank you very much, Trevor. We need to talk about Cosby. Premieres January 30th, only on Showtime. We're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go. This weekend was the 49th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And while it is still law, in much of the country, women's reproductive rights are being threatened. But Planned Parenthood is on the ground. They're helping deliver vital reproductive health care, sex education, and information to millions of people, not just in the United States, but worldwide. So if you want to support them in their mission, then you can donate at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, you never know when there's a microphone recording you. So just to be safe, call everyone a stupid son of a bitch. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 